right. Um, I've named this Paul's work as a servant of the church. And uh, for me, uh, this passage of scripture is about Paul's fire for his, for his ministry to the churches. And as a missionary, he evangelized, then set up churches, local churches, and he spent his life serving them. And here he is again, starting in Colossians 1.24. He's at his very best, and we can see his passion, his determination, his commitment to the gospel, and he's right on target. He's fighting the good fight, and he's not going to have a Colossian heresy or an empty philosophy mar or water down the truth. He wants these local churches to survive and flourish. And in his passion and determination, he is letting the truth be known. And that is, in Christ we have been made complete. No more, no less. And he's passionately speaking it out. And actually, in this case, he's writing it as he stands up to these Gnostics in Colossae. And if you think about it, you can almost sense his indignation. I love it. And we need to sit up and take note, because it's not just then, but it's now. It's all around us. We face conspiracy theories, this idea of fake news. We live in a toxic society, and we can all start to ask the question, have I got this right? What is the truth? We're in a time where we need to know the word of God and be firmly established and steadfast and strong and true to what we believe. Are we so and this is really a big challenge in front of us. Are we strong enough? Are we steady enough? Are we secure enough in what we believe to face the dissension and the subtleness of the secular world that is creeping onto us and not be intimidated but to walk in the insurance of the hope that we have. So what was this hierarchy? Uh, sorry, this, what was this heresy or this empty philosophy that Paul was so strongly refuting? It was Gnosticism in this river valley where Colossae is, and it's here on a slide. And there were three churches here. There was Laodicea, Heropolis, and Colossae, and they, it was actually quite a small river valley, but it was very lush, and they could see each other across the valley. So it was a small area, and the Gnostics there claimed to have secret knowledge. They believed that the knowledge necessary for salvation was so involved and so difficult that it must be the possession of the spiritual elite and the chosen few. But Paul is not going to have it. And he is out there, and he is de debunking it. And he's emphasizing that true knowledge is in Christ, that the simplest child in Christ Jesus has all the knowledge they need. It's not hidden for the elite only. That true knowledge is an intimate, personal relationship with Christ. It's just that simple. I did do chaplaincy in the Wangrei Hospital until COVID stopped. 
And there was one man uh, there who told me that the truth was in quantum science. And he gave me a 30-minute lecture. Another man told me that he found a wonderful piece in Eastern mysticism. Another lady told me she was saying her Buddhist prayers and I could wait, and that's fine, I can wait uh, uh, until she finished. Uh, and another young man told me he had never heard of the name of Jesus. As many of you know, I've been a missionary in Asia for many years, and I was in culture shock coming back to New Zealand. I truly did not know how to answer any of them, and I found it extremely sad. So here's Paul. He starts in Colossians 1.24 with these words. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. Well, that will take a long time to unpack. There's a lot of words in there. Suffering, rejoicing in it, and for your sake. We have to understand that when Paul wrote this, he was in prison in Rome, awaiting for the, to be tried by Nero, and the issue was almost certain death for him. We could say he was on death row, so to speak. So the interesting point here is that in that situation, as a servant of Christ, he's not agonizing over himself. Surely you'd be agonizing over yourself. But he's agonizing over others. These others were these three churches that he didn't even start and whose faces he had never seen. And he says, I'm struggling with you about this. I pray for you. I'm with you in spirit. I sure do wish we could agonize for one another, not just for the physical problems we face, but that the church would agonize for the body of Christ around the world. With the state of the world, there is so much that we could affect if we prayed and really gave it all our heart. The Vietnamese, Vietnam, where I lived for a long time, they really agonize over their nation in prayer. Do we? If we think about this, we will also see that Paul is suffering with a purpose. Do we suffer with a purpose? I find that interesting. He never retreated from the high demands of the Christian faith by seeking refuge in gentle sentiments, not Paul. Have you ever noticed when you read through the book of Acts, which is full of Paul, that there, sorry, which is full of Paul, sorry, sorry. Have you ever noticed that as you read through the book of Acts, uh, uh, there's no purpose, no plot, no structure, and no history without suffering. Paul's focus is only on suffering that is willingly chosen. He chose suffering because of his earnest commitment to preach the gospel. Whenever we choose to confront wrong in the world for the sake of the gospel, as Paul did, then persecution and suffering will inevitably follow us. And our, our day is no different from Paul's in requiring some choosing, some daring, and sacrifice from us as Christians. That's the way the gospel spreads. And then as we read this, we can't go past the next point that Paul says he rejoices in the suffering. Well, I think we have to ask the question, what is that? 
Paul did not turn in on himself in the midst of suffering. He believed that his life had a special purpose for others, and he viewed suffering as a privilege. That's worth thinking about. And this is why he could rejoice. And we read in Acts 5, 41, I say this, so they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his sake. If we read the verse before, we will find that they have just been flogged, and then they're taken to the council, and then they leave rejoicing. And I remember in Vietnam once, many, many years ago, um, a group of Vietnamese pastors were um, uh, um, uh, taken in by the police, a local police, and they uh, locked them in the toilet all night. Uh, and you wouldn't want to be locked in the toilet in Vietnam in the old days. It wasn't a very pleasant place. I won't describe it to you. It might shock you. Uh, anyhow, they're squashed in this little toilet, and there's not enough space to sit down, you see. Only one can sit down at a time. So they're in there all night, so they sing. They spend all night singing, rejoicing in their suffering, singing. And in the morning, the police open the door and say, come out, come out. But these people, they kind of knew how to handle uh, persecution. And uh, the pastors said to the police, no, 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 we're not coming out of here. And they said, well, why not? Um, no, we're not coming out until you get the higher-up police because you have no legal authority to lock us in here all night without uh, charging us with something. Uh, so they refused to come out. So the local police had to get the higher-up police to come, and then the, the higher-up police have to admit that's right. So all the police uh, lose their face, which is a big deal in Asian countries to make people lose their face. Uh, so... Here is the pattern when we suffer. By, pay, by faith, Paul preaches the gospel, which in turn brings suffering or affliction, which then produces in him greater faith, which in turn creates greater boldness of speech, which then provides additional suffering. And for the servant of Christ, the pattern, believing, speaking, suffering, is inescapable and perpetual. And Paul expresses this great paradox in Romans 5, 3 to 5. And here it is written up here. We also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Amen. Suffering leads somewhere. It leads to hope. That's the key. We know suffering is not the end of the story. Easy? No, suffering's not easy. But heaven is coming, and through suffering, we are being made more like Christ. And then Paul goes on to say, and this is where I went to Howard and said, forget it, just forget it, find someone else. If you can explain this verse, good luck. It says, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. In filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, Howard wouldn't let me off the hook, sadly. Um, do Christ's afflictions lack something? Do Christ's afflictions lack something? What is Paul talking about? For Christ said on the he, Christ said on the cross, it's finished. It's finished. 
So Christ is not lacking anything in his atonement. So what does Paul mean? Well, there are about as many views on this verse as, as there are commentators. But I think Paul sees his suffering uh, for the gospel as the reenactment, and I want to use those words, the reenactment of suffering, of the sufferings of Christ, so that others will see Christ's love through him. Paul believed that his suffering bore the imprints of Jesus' suffering on the cross, in the sense that he reflects in his person the weaknesses and humility of Christ, and so must, at least in principle, endure the same ridicule and scorn and even physical abuse which Jesus experienced in dying on the cross. And the point here is that that experience allows him to be like Christ in his death. We know Jesus best when we share his deepest suffering and humiliation. And I'm wondering this morning if we're willing to serve and suffer joyfully for the sake of others, so that others may hear the gospel. Willing to leave our comfort zone, our control, to take a risk and maybe look a little foolish, hopefully wisely, of course. It's not easy in this country. But the case historically is that God has seen fit to use those who step out in faith to grow the church and spread the gospel. Just think of the church in China and Vietnam right now. Chinese and, and the Chinese and the Vietnamese and, and many others pay a high, high price for their faith. With a little bit of stepping out to the lost and paying some cost hurt us, the Chinese and the Vietnamese are aware of what it costs. They don't really have much choice. And that produces courage and passion in them. Could we take a few steps towards the, the lost? Or could, could taking a few steps towards the lost produce in us a little bit more courage? When non-Christians see how Christians suffer well, they are compelled to know more about this Christ that we serve. Suffering will present us with a unique opportunity to show that this life isn't our value. Christ is. It's such a paradox to me, or it's very ironic, that Western missionaries, Western missionaries can often see their homeland as having so much of the world in their face. But as missionaries, the world wasn't quite so much in our face. And in a refugee camp in Thailand, where I lived for a long time, in a Thai village way out in the middle of nowhere, we had no hot water, and when the dam was low in the summer, we showered in brown, muddy water, our hair and all, sometimes for months. We had no TV, no cell phones, no computers, and often no landline, meaning no communication with the outside world for days or months. Perhaps you see it as a sacrifice. You know, those missionaries out there, they're the heroes. But for us to be out there presenting the gospel and helping the poor was so fulfilling. A struggle, yes, but it had purpose. And we had joy in it, even if we nearly died from dengue fever or typhoid. Well, Japanese encephalitis was another one. We out there felt that you were the heroes back here. We, we felt sorry for you guys. 
like you had the hard part, stuck in this Western world where we see the sexualization of everything, materialism, and more and more comfort, and you have to bring your children up and all of this. To live here, you need some real determination and intentionality to live counterculture. In Asia, our purpose was clear, but in our own culture, I notice when I come back here, it's very muddied, and, and, uh, and it's, dif it's more difficult here than there. You are the heroes, but we need determination and we need intentionality. But I'm off track here. But anyhow, it reminds me of a story, and the story goes like this, about a Russian girl called Natasha. Her story is told in an autobiography by this man, Sergei. He was a Russian secret policeman. And Sergei was commissioned by the Russian police to stamp out prayer gatherings. They were told if there was a prayer meeting to beat everyone up and try and stamp it out. So he goes and he notices this one young woman called Natasha. And one of his partners goes over and beats her up badly. And three days later, he goes off, Sergi goes off to a different prayer gathering, and guess who's there? Uh, Natasha. So now he's mad, and he doesn't know what to do. He's thinking to himself, we just beat her up, and three days later, she shows up again. So he beats N Natasha so badly that he makes her back, her back all bloody. And then he goes to a, th a third prayer meeting, and guess who's back to meet with the people of God and pray to her saviour? Natasha. And his partner says, no way, no way. Um, this one is not going to be touched. Remove her and beat all the rest. And later this man, Sergi, converted. In his own words, he wrote a note, or he wrote a book actually, and he says this, and finally to Natasha, whom I beat terribly, and who was willing to be beaten a third time for her faith. I want to say to Natasha, largely because of you, my life is now changed, and I'm a fellow believer with you in Christ. Natasha never spoke a word to him. He just watched what she was going to do for her Christ. He says, I have a new life before me. God has forgiven me. I hope you can also. Thank you, Natasha. Wherever you are, I will never, never forget you. Natasha was reenacting the suffering of Christ with her willingness to suffer for the gospel. And so are you when you suffer. This is effective ministry, and it's characterized by joyful suffering. Paul was an amazing model of this in serving the local church. And then we move on where Paul says in verse 25, of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. In this verse, Paul is stating his mandate, his calling, a minister, or it means a, a, a servant, a servant, or for Paul, he often considered himself like a slave to Jesus Christ. 
uh, to carry out an assignment for the master because in the ancient world, stewards of estates were usually slaves. Paul, therefore, does not view his calling as a high office, but as a privilege and a duty to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. He understood to work out of a place of humility, of servant leadership, of dying to himself, and we need to display this kind of attitude. It's called moving in the opposite spirit, the opposite spirit to the secular world we live in today. This world that is all about self, me, me, Facebook, TikTok, what do I look like? See me, see my opinions, and on and on it goes. But as we move in the opposite spirit to this world, we will look different, church, and we should look different, but it will cost us something. Are we willing to move and step out and do something a little bit daring and uncomfortable? It's a bit like doing chaplaincy in the CBD. It is not my thing. I'm not very comfortable doing it. I'm not miss outgoing. I'm not miss joyful or miss talkative. I just, I'm just me, and me doesn't seem to fit the bill. I don't even know if it's the best approach, but it does seem to be what God is saying. So let me get over me and step out for him. Because we need to be like Paul, who knows that with his call came the power to fulfill it. And that power gave him the stamina to carry out his mission, to endure the strain, and to accept suffering joyfully. We may do well to remember that we too have this power, to fulfill what is in front of us, and the stamina to carry it out. Paul's mandate was to fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, and he wrote it like this, to fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is, now what is that preaching? He goes on to say, it's a mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations and has now been manifest to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Paul sets out the very essence of the task which he's been given by God. That task was to bring men a new discovery, a secret kept through the ages, all through the Old Testament. Sometimes it kind of appeared. We kind of got a bit of an idea in the generations that it was kept like a secret. And now we burst into the New Testament and it's revealed to us. And this is the glorious hope of the gospel was not only for the Jews, but for all men everywhere. Paul took Christ to the Gentiles and destroyed forever the idea that God's love and mercy were the property of any one people or any nation. How's that for good news? We are the Gentiles. I know you know all this, but in Paul's era, it must have been phenomenal revelation to put across to people, both the Jews and the Gentiles. Shouldn't it be like that in our era? Shouldn't it be phenomenal news, the good news? I mean, the sad part is that in most non-Western nations, it really 
It really, really is good news on dry and weary land, but in the West, here, it's really tough going. You're the heroes. And even more reason why the tough need to get going. How much of the world have we taken on and lost our passion for the gospel? For me in New Zealand, it's just so easy to increase my comfort, lose my passion, and be lulled off to sleep. It's just too cold here. But in Vietnam, it's Jesus everywhere. It's King Jesus. It's King Jesus. It's Jesus the Messiah. And the Vietnamese, they understand. It's like good news. God, God is for us. And those little Vietnamese are on fire. They can pray all night, fast, uh, or fast all day. Uh, if they're not fasting, they can eat two meals a day only because that's all the money they've got. Uh, they're evangelizing everyone in sight, laying hands on people, praying for them, even if at times it's a bit misguided. But God loves it because he wants an opportunity to show up, and show up he does, and they learn, and their faith grows. But in New Zealand, have we lost our wonder of the cross and our passion? Sometimes it seems all about having knowledge, analyzing it, getting all the ducks lined up, and then we're too afraid to step out. How can we, as a church, reach our community around us? And good things are stirring in this church, exciting things. Howard calls them the whispers of God, and it's very amazing um, what God seems to be sort of uh, leading towards. It might be the wrong plan to start with. You have to and you, and you might have to admit you have to go back to the drawing board and, and look at it again, but at least you try. And as you step out and try, God will rearrange it if you're willing to be flexible and not demand it be done my way or the highway. And in the mission field, we also found this, that we did these quirky things, like we, we often wait on the Lord a lot to try and hear what God wanted us to do, because we're mission. And... Um, in the beginning, Vietnam being communist was so difficult when we got some believers, um, God seemed to be saying to send them to the Philippines to disciple them. So we would send them off uh, to Youth for the Mission in the Philippines who would disciple the Vietnamese for us um, and send them back to us for three years. And then um, after three years, we thought, oh, well, it seems to be finishing in the Philippines. It's very hard to get visas. So what are you saying, God? And so, you know, the obvious answer is it's bring it back to Vietnam. So, you know, the obvious answer uh, is not right uh, sometimes. So anyhow, we wandered around Vietnam for three months trying to look where to put our, our discipleship school. Three months, you know, we walked around in circles. And um, finally, one day, it's like the penny dropped. And, and I realized when I was reading the scripture that God was saying to me out of Chronicles that... Um, that you are like refugees and you will wander from nation to nation to kingdom to kingdom. And I realized that the Philippines is a nation and that God was saying, uh, you've wandered there and it's come to an end, but you're going to keep wandering and you're going to go to a kingdom. And the kingdom is Cambodia. It's Vietnam's neighbor. And I realized that God was saying, it's not time to bring it home to Vietnam. You have to take it to Cambodia. And, and Cambodia was easy to cross the border. Uh, youth with a mission there was willing to help us. And, and so, you know, finding our way forward um, 
it's messy. Mission is messy. That's what it is. But you have to be flexible. But God is doing good things amongst us in this church. Because the fact is that the only thing in this world that is for every man is Christ Jesus. The only thing in this world that is for every man is Christ Jesus. Think about that. I'd like to say to you, put it in your pipe and smoke it. It's not every man who can be a thinker. Uh, There are gifts which are not granted to every man. Not every man can master every craft, or in this day and age, every computer game. There are those who are tone deaf and for whom the glory of music does not exist. Not every man can write, sing, or walk. There are gifts a man will never possess. There are privileges a man will never enjoy. But to every man there is opened the good news of the gospel, the love of God and Christ Jesus, and the transforming power which can change a whole life. That should make you jump up and down in your seat. No wonder we read in verse 28 and 29, has Paul in his passion, he says, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to this, his power, which mightily works within me. No wonder Paul was passionate about his calling, his ministry, and his message. Are we? What happened? Paul, even as he faced death, was still amazed by the cross. He was amazed by the resurrection. He was amazed by this phenomenal truth. He never lost his passion, his first love, his grip, his determination to press on, to press on towards the mark, the upward call of Christ Jesus. And he was not going to let, can I say, some jerky Gnostics lead the church astray. Take your hat off to him. What a flesh and blood example to follow. He wanted to encourage their hearts, to come alongside them, to aid them, to admonish them, which means to warn them of the danger of being deceived. This is servant leadership in the local church, and we are all called to it. Servant leadership is about influencing others and not about title. Influencing others towards Christ, from A to B, B to C, from five points off the scale, not um, atheist, to two points off the scale, atheist. A to B, we can all influence others towards Christ. And in closing, we hear these final verses, which give us a poignant glimpse into Paul's heart. He writes... For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts might be encouraged, having been knitted together in love and attaining to all wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in true knowledge of Christ's mystery. That is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that you, no one will delude delude you with persuasive arguments. Again, we see Paul's struggle for these Christians who he's never seen, but whom he loved. Do we love the lost? 
These are these three Christians in the towns of Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossae. And he was picturing them, he's in jail, he's picturing them in his mind, and he's struggling. He's struggling in prayer. You can bet Paul being Paul, being so ferocious, I think, he longed to go to Colossae and to call back those who were straying, straying from the faith. But he was in prison, and he must leave it to God. And for all of us, when time and distance and circumstances separate us from those we long to help, there is only one way to help them, and this is to pray. And then again, secondly, it may well have been that there was another struggle in, in Paul's mind. After all, he was human, wasn't he? He's in jail, he's facing judgment and certain death. It would be easy to play the coward and abandon the truth for the sake of his own safety and his own release from jail. However, Paul knew that such a desertion would be disastrous in its consequences. If the young churches knew that Paul had denied Christ, the heart would be taken from them and it would be the end of Christianity for many. His struggle was not for himself alone, but for all those whose eyes were fixed upon him as their leader and father in the faith. In conclusion, we too would do well to remember that in any situation, there are those who are watching us and that our action will either confirm or destroy their faith. Our struggle is never for ourselves alone, but the honor of Christ is in our hands and the faith of others is in our keeping. We may want to ask, where in my life is God asking for sacrifice, for a willingness to suffer? Press in, church. Press on, church. Let me pray. Father, help us to never lose our amazement for the cross. For this phenomenal truth, help us be like Paul, passionate not to lose our grip, not to lose our first love, but, but to look to you. And God, it's not easy in New Zealand. I think many of us want to reach the loss, but it's very difficult to know how can we do that in this nation, where it's, it's not like good news on a dry and weary land. But Father, encourage our hearts today, I ask. Encourage our hearts, Lord. Give us courage. Give us faith. Give us determination and help us press on towards the mark of the upward calling of Christ Jesus. Father, we ask your presence, your blessing, and your Holy Spirit to help us in this, in a toxic nation, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.